With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. and welcome to Ohio Mysteries. We will get to our episode in a moment, but first, Paula and I appreciate all of the continued support out there. We have over a million downloads and we want to keep growing. If you could leave a positive rating on our podcast, we would greatly appreciate it. Also, tell a friend or family member about our show. Now, let's throw another log on the fire campers. Let's dig up a new mystery. your co-host Steve Yoder. And with us as always is our award-winning journalist who spent 30 years telling these kinds of stories with the Akron Beacon Journal, Paula Schleiss. Hi everybody. You know, you don't have to go to Europe to see a castle. Loveland, Ohio is close enough. For decades, Chateau La Roche has stood in this Cincinnati suburb like a scene out of medieval history built by one man who had always been inspired by tales of knights and their vows of valor and chivalry. Harry Andrews shouldn't have been alive to build his castle. During World War I, he was declared dead. Death wouldn't really come for him until he was 91, and a freak fire finally took his life. But between those two events, he built a castle a lifelong labor of love still enjoyed by visitors today. Harry had quite a personal story. He was born in 1890 in Franklin, New York, the only child of Fred and Jenny. When World War I broke out, Harry enlisted as a nurse and was assigned to an army hospital in Camp Dix, New Jersey. Turns out, the front lines weren't the only dangerous place during the war. The great flu pandemic was killing millions, and at Camp Dix in 1918, they had an additional outbreak of encephalitis, with thousands of soldiers affected and hundreds killed. At first, they thought Harry was dead, too. They moved his motionless body to the morgue and wrote deceased on records that were mailed off to Army headquarters. While Harry lay on a slab, a doctor thought he'd experiment with a new medical product available. He had a shot of something new called adrenaline. He pierced Harry's heart with it, then pumped his chest. Miraculously, Harry's heart started to beat. It was not much of a recovery for a while. 
Harry was blind and paralyzed. Hospital staff figured he would probably suffer like that for a few weeks and die anyway. He weighed 89 pounds. But he slowly put on some weight. Then his vision came back with the help of glasses. And Harry recovered, though not everything was the same. Harry had been engaged, but his fiancée had been told he was dead and had moved on to marry another. Harry stayed in the military and went to Europe after the war. He ended up serving as a hospital administrator in southwest France in a place called Chateau La Roche. He spent his days off exploring castles in the region and taking classes in architecture and engineering. Eventually, he returned home, studied more architecture at Colgate University, and by the early 1920s, found himself settled in Cincinnati, Ohio. Harry, who never married and had no kids, taught Sunday school at Northside Christian Church, and he had a Boy Scout troop. There were about a dozen or so youngsters who met regularly, and one of their favorite things was camping. At the time, the Cincinnati Business Courier, a local newspaper, offered an interesting subscription deal. You pay for a year subscription in advance, and you receive the deed to a small plot of land on the banks of the Little Miami River in Loveland. Some of Harry's Sunday school parents gave or sold their lots to Harry, and he strung along 14 of them into an acre and a half of rock-strewn wooded ground. It was a nice camping spot for his boys. They were there so often they started leaving their gear at the campsite. But wild animals and sometimes trespassers would stumble upon the tents and such and have their way with it. So Harry decided to upgrade their accommodations. He had the boys collect the rocks from the property and use them to build a couple of structures. The structures inspired Harry to form a club that he called Knights of the Golden Trail, which expounded the Ten Commandments and the principles of chivalry, remnants from a time when knights spent a lifetime in pursuit of honor and valor. Well, if he was going to raise a generation of knights, they'd need a castle, wouldn't they? So on June 5, 1929, at the age of 55, he began to build his own Chateau La Roche. The building he envisioned would be one-fifth the scale of an authentic 16th century medieval castle. He still had bills to pay, and that meant the greater part of his week was spent on jobs that came with paychecks. Over the course of his life, he taught at several Cincinnati-area schools, worked as a reporter, and did defense work during World War II. He retired from the Standard Publishing Company, where he worked in the mailroom. During his working years, he could devote about an hour a day to the castle. You see, while he would let some people do odd jobs here and there, like mix mortar, he laid every stone himself. He carried an estimated 56,000 pails of stones up from the Little Miami River and made an equal number of trips lugging five-gallon buckets of dirt. When that resource was exhausted, 
He made bricks from concrete poured into quartz-sized paper milk cartons, about 2,600 sacks worth of cement. On Memorial Day of 1955, 26 years after he laid the first stone, enough rooms and amenities were finished to allow him to move in, though he was far from done. Even as he continued to work on it for the next several years, he would entertain hundreds of visitors every weekend. When it was finished, Harry estimated it had taken him about 23,000 hours of hard labor. But thanks to being able to use natural resources on his property and the cheap land, it cost him just $12,000. He'd built his castle four stories high with 18 rooms. It had all the typical living spaces, as well as a dungeon, terrace, fighting decks, and a balcony. Unlike medieval castles, it had all the modern amenities, electricity, running water, sewers, and telephone. Harry even built the road that led to the castle. Throughout it all, the castle served as the headquarters for his Knights of the Golden Trail. Remember how I said Harry's records were marked deceased back during that meningitis scare? Well, that came back to haunt him. When he went to apply for his army pension, it took quite a bit of doing to convince the Pentagon he wasn't dead. The real end for Harry Andrews began the morning of March the 14th, 1981. Harry was burning some trash that he'd collected from around the property. He was always fighting litter. When the fire got out of control and caught some brush on fire, he tried to stomp it out. But the flames caught the hem of his pants. They moved up his trousers, lit the sleeves of his shirt on fire. Visitors to the castle saw him aflame, and they quickly covered him. But the burns on his arms and legs were just too severe. He died of his injuries a month later, just a few days after his 91st birthday. Harry's will left the castle to the Knights of the Golden Trail, who have upgraded and renovated the building over the years. It was after Harry's death that it was discovered the castle even had a secret room. The entrance was one of the arches in the wall of the garden, and it was only discovered after it collapsed from years of neglect. Even the knights didn't know it was there. Of course, Ghost hunters like the spot, just for the look of it, I suppose, or maybe because of the fire that marked the beginning of the end of Harry. In 1962, there was a bit of a scare when a 15-year-old boy named Donald McDavid vanished from the castle. He was spending the weekend there with several other boys who had been taking turns as a guide for visitors. They made a little cash from tips. But he wandered off while the other boys were watching TV one evening and had been missing three days when the story finally made the headlines. Now, I could not find a single story about what happened next, so I'm going to assume he just ran away temporarily and was found later because if it was something worse, I'm sure there would have been more headlines. Now, you don't need a ghost to enjoy this attraction. You can visit it. It's open seven days a week. It's part of Loveland Park. 
Tickets, I believe, the last time I looked, were five bucks a person. Free to kids, five and under. And you can take food and drinks and make a picnic for yourself on the grounds. I think people rent the place for weddings and events as well. Just visit lovelandcastle.com for details, pictures, and more. That's it for tonight, listeners. For photos, news clippings, and more on this and every episode, hop on over to ohiomysteries.com. Also, for more shows like ours, head on over to killerpodcasts.com. We are a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.